0: evening everybody and welcome to the graveyard thank you for joining us tonight my name is adam and my name's matt now pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is graveyard tales (laughs) all right matt episode 13 i know we made we made it to lucky 13 lucky 13 some people may not think it's lucky, but I kind of like it. It's one of my one of my favorite numbers there. But we hit a milestone over the weekend, and we're recording early before this goes out. So there's that vortex thing that we were talking about where there's a, like a time slip issue. So we're going to end up having to do an episode on time slips just because we live in one now. That's right. Yeah, we do. Uh, so an episode on that would be good, but... Uh, last weekend it was your birthday so happy birthday matt everybody thanks for the birthday wishes on facebook and twitter that's right um i appreciate y'all doing that for him that was great Um, but as a big present for him we crossed the nine thousand download mark over the weekend yeah that's that's huge that is huge we thank y'all so much we couldn't we couldn't be happier. We appreciate it very yeah, much.
1: It's, it's fantastic. And again, it just, it blows us away. You know, that that many people want to hear what the heck we got to say. Right.
0: <laughs> right. And you know, and we know because we look at analytics, we know it's not just our moms and that makes <laughs> yeah. us feel good. My mom doesn't listen. Right. Mine either. Mine either. <laughs> we, we talked about that. And I even confronted her about it that following weekend. I went over to her her house and I was like, mom, Just so you know, um, I talked bad about you on the last podcast because you don't listen. And she's like, well, which episode is it? I'm going to go listen now. I'm like, okay, thanks, Mom. (laughs) Only listen when I mention you and talk bad about you. So hence why I'm talking about her now so that I can say, hey, you got to go listen to this one. that's right. I talked about you again. So, but before we get into tonight, um, I saw a couple things that I wanted to share. And one of them was... Some of y'all may have seen it because it kind of went around, but a guy noticed that while he was reading the H.P. Lovecraft poem Nemesis, which is in Cthulhu, he noticed it had the same meter, the same cadence as the song Piano Man by (laughs) Billy Joel. So first of all, I've had that song stuck in my head all day. Piano Man, (laughs) that's been stuck in my head all day. It'll stick
1: every time.
0: And it's... Not enjoyable because it's a good song, but not when you're repeating the same minute, minute and a half in your head all day. So just if it's stuck in your head, you're welcome. (laughs) Um, But this guy, he realized that it had the same kind of meter to it. So he took the nemesis poem and played Piano Man underneath it and created a song out of it. And it's amazing.
1: Oh, yeah. It's incredible.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna post uh, the link in the show notes, so uh, or try to at least, so you guys can listen to it if you haven't heard it. Um, because it it's very catchy. It's great. <laughs>
1: yeah, something to make uh, Lovecraft catchy.
0: Right. <laughs> it's uh,
1: usually not a word you use to describe an H.P. Lovecraft
0: work. If you've ever read Lovecraft, it's like, yeah, it's good, but holy crap, you know. You've got to have uh, like a dictionary of phrases for that time to be able to actually understand most of it.
1: Yeah. You know? It's like trying to read uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. You know, th- there's a book that explains, you know, what everything is. That's, <laughs> right. that's what you got to have. Right. However,
0: yeah. to, to prove the depth of my nerdosity.
1: And I do think there's a Lovecraft book that does that, too.
0: Yeah. That has all the, yeah, all the, the glossary. Right. Of, right. <laughs> codex so or something. Yeah um but to prove the depth of my nerdosity i have read all the lord of the rings love it and i've read the lovecraft stuff and love it so there you go i'm a nerd sorry
1: yeah i've still thumbed through that lovecraft book that you gave me yeah see i'm just
0: still kind of man this is hard (laughs) to get through (laughs) you got to be in the right mindset that's for sure but on a, a side here, just because I thought about it, um, I want to, this may start a war in comments, and I kind of want to do this, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> the best and original trilogy was Lord of the Rings, not Star Wars. Go. <laughs> fight. <laughs> I'll have a nerd fight with you. I don't mind. I'll do it. And I know that's going to start some some crap in the in the comments, but I don't care. That's right. Um, Another thing that we want comments about is Matt and I were discussing this. uh, Some of y'all, most of y'all have probably heard of this. Excuse the language, but this dumbass challenge now, the Tide Pod challenge. And Matt and I, we're just going to leave out most of our thoughts about that. However, we want to tie this in somehow and we want to tie it into podcasting somehow and make some kind of challenge since it's pod the tide pod challenge, but we don't know how to tie in the word tide to anything. You know whether you listen to your favorite podcast on high tide or you know what <laughs> I I don't know, but yeah, that that's uh, your guy's job. Yeah, we want some ideas. Yes, so give us ideas. We're we're gonna try to start some kind of podcast listening challenge and call it like the Tide Podcast Challenge or just the Tide Pod Challenge, and see if we can overshadow this dumb challenge that's going on now and just kind of get that out of the way. Maybe take over the hashtag Tide Pod Challenge with just podcasting stuff and make it a good thing, make it growth for podcasts, make it something fun and something that's not going to have you ingesting lie. Or maybe it's a
1: deal where um, you you listen to uh, Adam and I tell dad jokes back and forth and see how long you can last.
0: <laughs> hey, we could do that. I got a ton of them. It's that uh, what is that? Don't uh, the don't laugh challenge you see all the time on the? Uh-huh. Thing. We yeah. could do that, and I guarantee those you, are
1: the, I have told probably half of those jokes.
0: I, I know, and Legit- other, legitimately, right? The other half I stole from them and am telling now. <laughs> That's right. That's so. <laughs> But I guarantee you mine are so bad, you won't laugh. So, you know, you'll probably win. (laughs) But real quick, before we get into the meat and potatoes of tonight's episode, let's take a quick potty break and hear from nature versus narcissism and the spoop hour. Hey guys, I'm Heather. And I'm Rochelle. And And we're from from Nature Nature vs. Narcissism, narcissism, a true crime podcast mixed with some dark humor. Sometimes we have alcohol. Sometimes we have guests. Since I've always been fascinated by true crime, I wanted to delve deeper into the criminal mind and discuss why these criminals commit these vile acts. Was it nature? Was it nurture? Or was it just plain old narcissism? Join us every week for a brand new episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, and Podbean. Don't call the the cops. cops. Bye. Bye.
1: Hey, Sasha. Hey, Courtney. Where can you get hot takes about ghosts, cryptids, farts, and
0: cats? I don't know. Where? On our podcast, Spoop Hour. Oh, that's right. Each week, we talk about the things that spook us out, and we laugh through our fear. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Spoop Hour, and you can listen to our podcast on
1: iTunes, Podbean, or really anywhere else that you get your podcasts. Feel free to also drop us a line at at gmail.com We want to hear about your ghosts. Thanks.
0: All right, Matt, we're back. So what are we getting into tonight, brother? Tonight we are talking about the Winchester
1: Mystery House in San Jose, California. Right. And uh if if you're not familiar with uh the Winchester House, um, you should be because if you're into this kind of stuff, it pops up. It it's always coming up. There was even uh like an unsolved mysteries episode that featured the um, the Winchester House. It, it's really strange. So we're gonna we're gonna go into some of the history of Sarah Winchester, the
0: lady that. Also, that real quick, sorry if you you mentioned unsolved mysteries. If you're into this kind of stuff, listening to us, and you don't know what unsolved mysteries is, shame on you. Go watch it.
1: Yeah, continue, it's, Matt. <laughs> it, it's when I was a kid, it was one of my favorite shows. I never ever missed it. And that, that was back before you could record shows and watch them later. You had to be there in front of the TV right. at eight o'clock on a Thursday night
0: to see that dude's show. voice <laughs> creeped me out, yeah. man. As Robert a,
1: Robert Stack
0: Robert Stack as he a was uh,
1: he was Elliot Ness.
0: Yeah, as, as a kid, man, that voice. I knew some crap was going down oh, yeah. when I heard that voice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I was like, I love it, but I'm also a little scared by it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, so we'll, we'll bring it bring it in from that tangent. So, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, no, no problem. So, um Sarah Winchester, she um she was the heir to the uh Winchester Repeating Rifle Company, the actually the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. Right. Um she uh she moved in 1886 to California after the death of her husband and the death of her daughter. Um, she moved out there. She bought an eight-room farmhouse and started to to renovate it a little bit for 38 years. Right. Um, Just a little bit. Yeah. Con- construction began and did not stop. And when I mean did not stop, I mean it went on. 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 38 years. Right. So she started building on this. And so you start building something like that, you kind of begin to run out of ideas. Right. And, you know, maybe in the first two, three days. Yeah, I would. <laughs> so there's some really strange and unique aspects of, of this now enormous house. Right. Uh, that sits on, what, about 100 and hundred and eighty acres is what they said. Something like that. Something like that. You know, a lot of property. Um but she was she was married to William Wirt Winchester. Um, and he created the Winchester Repeating Rifle. Right. Which has uh been named the the rifle that won the West. Right. So you know most people when you say Winchester um you know, you immediately start thinking about rifles. Right. I, you know, my pocket knife is a Winchester. Too, right. So um, so pretty interesting. So I'm going to let Adam tell us a little bit of the history of this rifle, and we'll talk about how it may, may or may not play into uh, the mansion itself.
0: Right. So just to kind of give you an overview of the, I guess, like Matt said, why it would tie in here in a little bit. We'll kind of go over uh, a brief history, because if you look this up, it's not brief. It's <laughs> a long time. But the Winchester technological family tree actually runs back through to the Henry rifle, which is what was used in a lot of wars. That was the start. Um So two investors that you may have heard of, Horace Smith and Daniel Wesson. So the Smith and Wesson Arms Company, which I'm a Smith and Wesson fan. So go Horace and Daniel. Anyway.
1: (laughs) It's not something you hear every day.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) They bought uh, the, the Winchester Rifle Company before it was Winchester. And they bought that in 1854. Now, the projectile they used for this rifle was a bit of an Achilles heel for it. The rifle worked fine and everything, but people did not like the projectile. So in 1855, they actually sold it off to a group of investors that was led by Oliver Winchester. And then they went on to to found the Smith & Weston. But in 1857, Winchester renamed His new firm, the New Haven Arms Company, and hired a man by the name of Benjamin Tyler Henry as a factory foreman. Henry actually won a patent for a new ammo. So, this new ammo then thrust that rifle, which then became known as the Henry rifle, into the forefront. And everybody wanted to own one of these rifles. And the Civil War is actually what solidified the reputation. For this company, and the Henry rifle. Troops on both sides of the American Civil War prized the Henry rifles, but it was predominantly the Union soldiers who carried the Henry, and Confederate President Jefferson Davis actually armed his bodyguards with the Henry repeating rifle. Now, the Henry had a 16-round tubular-designed magazine, so it gained reputation for firepower the Confederate soldiers declared it that damn Yankee rifle that you can load on Sunday and shoot all week. So <laughs> yeah, what a promo for that, That's right? right. <laughs> I love it. So in 1865, the Henry rifle also played a pivotal role in the battle of Alatoona pass when outnumbered and surrounded by union forces, uh, they actually are, I'm sorry, outnumbered and surrounded Union force actually beat back Confederate attacks. And during one of these skirmishes, one company that was made up of just 52 men crushed an entire attacking Confederate battalion due to this rifle. So are we keeping track of the death rates associated with this rifle? Because if not, go back and listen to it again and I didn't name them out, but you can kind of guess. Yeah. So after the war, the Henry rifle actually headed to the western frontier. And in the alliance of the Lakota, Dakota, North Cheyenne, and Arapaho nations under Crazy Horse, they actually were able to massacre Custer's men because they owned and operated these Henry rifles, the repeating rifle, when Custer's men did not. Archaeological evidence actually shows the Indians were armed with as many as 150 or more of these rifles, and Custer's men had the single shot carbines, so not a good match there.
1: Yeah, it kind of changes uh, the idea of you know Native Americans fighting with bows and arrows and spears and right, stuff.
0: <laughs> right. They they were using <laughs> when, the Winchester
1: when they've got a when they've got a rifle that's you know more more badass than the ones yep. that the Custer's Army's yep. coming with.
0: You can load it on Sunday and shoot that thing all week, man. So anyway, the Model 1866 rifle actually came about after Oliver Winchester had named his company for himself. So the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. And shortly after that, Oliver died and William Wirt took over after he had married Sarah. So. Let's let Matt tell you a little bit about Sarah and her history and all that. Okay, so
1: in uh, the the together William and Sarah had had one daughter, and when she was a few weeks old, uh, she died of some kind of mysterious illness. I think I read that it was a protein deficiency.
0: Yeah, it was when not she, a normal right illness.
1: Yeah, and she was only, like I said, a few weeks old when she died. Um, in 1881, William developed pulmonary tuberculosis, and and that wound up being uh, the cause of his demise. So now you've got Sarah Winchester, a widow. She's she's lost a child. You know she is seriously depressed. But you know anything that would help depression? Hey, I'm gonna inherit a boatload of money, right? So, um, she got not only um, about estimated twenty million dollars. She also got an income from the Winchester Repeating Arms Company of about a thousand dollars a day, which by today's standards is about thirty grand. So. If you can imagine just getting thirty
0: grand a day, that's incredible.
1: Like, you know, I could probably spend thirty grand a day for about three or four days, right? And then I've I've run out of stuff.
0: Well, you shoot, know. man, a thousand dollars a day in today's money, yeah, is a lot of it's money. it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of money.
1: You know, if if you're thinking about getting seven grand a week, I mean, right? They ends are meeting all over the place. Yeah, so
0: I'd take that job.
1: <laughs> so. After that, Sarah decided she was going to go. She was going to travel, and she was a well-traveled woman. Um, she traveled essentially around the world for about three years before finally settling in uh, in California in 1884. Um, it exposed her to a lot of stuff, and there's even uh, some speculation that while in France, she um, she met up with some Freemasons, Knights Templar Freemasons. Right. You know, which, um, you know, makes it even, even more kind of mysterious, but she, she took all this experience and knowledge and settled in California. Now this stuff is interesting to say the least because of her, ah. affluence, you know, she, she was, uh, she had a lot of money. She could pretty much tell people what she wanted and they kind of hopped to it. Right. And now she's got all of this, you know, European influence and everything. So when you've got that much money and you've experienced a lot of new things, first thing you want to do is I'm going to try some of this out and I've got enough money to do it. Nobody can tell me that I can't.
0: So, this is what I'm gonna do. A knowledgeable, powerful, rich woman.
1: Yeah, and and she, you know, got into spiritualism, the occult, you know, different things, um, really in, in a way to possibly reconnect with her her lost husband and child. Right. So that kind of plays into why she decided I'm gonna start building this house and we're going to we're going to get into that more but the house that she bought as i mentioned earlier it's a small eight room farmhouse um it's in the um in the santa clara valley which where it is now is san jose california so she started the work on it and as i said the she hired about 20 carpenters and she hired staff to uh you know housekeepers and cooks and whatnot to uh you know to assist with uh with the house and these carpenters started work and they worked twenty four hours a day seven days a week to start building on to this house and she paid them well i mean if you're going to ask me to work twenty four hours a day you're gonna have to pay me well, but she paid them double. What the going rate was for that kind of labor, um, but they also had to put up with her. Like I said, she was very eccentric. You know, she was well traveled, had a lot of money, was not used to be told, being told no. So, if you didn't do things exactly how she said, if you didn't, you know, show her the the respect that she thought she deserved, you were gone. Right, and she replaced you and. There was probably a long line of people waiting, going, Miss Sarah's going to call. She's going to hire me for three times what I'm making. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And all I got to do is, you know, build some stairs and put in some windows and hang some doors. Yep. Go off you her know. crazy and, blueprint. Yeah. <laughs> you know, nail, hammer, repeat. That's right. it. You know, <laughs> and, and, I, and I'll be here on Friday to get my check. Absolutely. <laughs> but... um. So she starts working on this house, and, as I said, you know you're going to run out of ideas. so things began to really expand, and there's a lot of a uh, lot of really uh opulent decor mm-hmm. and and strange little things, like you know the the certain number of of doors, a certain number of windows in in each room. Um, there's Tiffany Glass you know, inside this house.
0: Tiffany glass is expensive nowadays.
1: Right, right. So you can imagine trying to get something like that—you know, a, a large stained glass, you know, window, Tiffany stained glass. You know, that that's gonna that's gonna be more money than than most people at that time, you know, saw in a, in in their lives. Right. You know. So, um, but the, they just kept building and building and building, um, stairwells that went to the ceiling. You know, they had um, windows in the floor and they, there's even one, and, and I'll, I'll touch on this now, the, um, the switchback staircase, Yep. it's, it goes back, what, seven, eight times,
0: yeah, you know, I think it's it, seven,
1: seven times it doubles back on itself. But if you look at it, if you look at a picture of it, you know, the steps are like two inches high right. and it actually, the rise of the entire staircase is about nine feet. Right, three meters is what I've read. So uh, roughly nine feet to go up there, and they said that she wanted it that way because she had really bad arthritis in her knees, and it made it easier for her to go up and down steps. So this wasn't like one of the creepy ones. This was something that she had told them: "I want it this way, yeah, so that I can go up and down the stairs easily. You know,
0: less bending of the (laughs) knees, a lot more walking, but."
1: Something would have taken about 5 steps, you know. It's right. like now it's like 47.
0: Takes me a half hour and to I'm, cross I'm going to go back and forth back and forth 7 times before I get I've heard people getting dizzy on that yeah. staircase just from how many times it whips back right. and forth. Right.
1: Yeah, it's it's weird. Um and and Sarah herself was a little strange. Um she she always wore uh Victorian morning wear. She wore black, black dresses was always in a veil, so nobody ever saw her without her veil. There is a photograph of her without the veil, and she's sitting out in the in the yard so yeah,
0: that's the only' that's the only photograph
1: too. you know so um but she was said to have always worn that veil and she was a little woman she was about four foot ten, so the ceilings in the house are really low they're they're plenty high for her, but for someone that's even average height you know, in some areas you have to duck, you know, or the ceiling is scraping the top of your head. So just, just really, really weird stuff. And I'm going to let Adam go into more of the things that are in the house.
0: All right. So, yeah, as Matt said that the house is just odd and it took her years and years and years to get to this point. But during that, building project she actually got the house up to a total of seven stories and it it had i guess 500 to 600 rooms at that point but then in 1906 an earthquake hit and it reduced the house down to only four stories and i say only kind of in jest i mean four stories you know yeah that's all um but at that point she didn't go any higher because she was afraid of it collapsing again so she went out um it kind
1: of like my hair right when when i had hair right it wouldn't or, it grew out instead of up or down
0: right <laughs> <laughs> well kind of like me i used to grow up now that i'm older i'm growing out so just an old house and an old body you grow out after a while but It, like we said, it's huge and it's in Victorian style architecture. And one of the things, you know, it's been described as a labyrinth. There's literally miles of maze like corridors and twisting hallways. And some of these hallways just end into just a dead end. Yeah. There's nothing there. Wall. You're following this hallway for feet and feet and feet. And then it just stops in a wall. So, It forces you to turn around and go back up the hallway and find another way. There's a lot of centrally located passages and stairways that serve as kind of like shortcuts. So if you know this, you can jump basically from one side of the house to the other real quick, which is probably what she used most of the time. Instead of using the rest of the house, instead of going up and down these weird staircases and all that she used the central passages, and I'm sure the maids and everything else did to jump from the kitchen to her bedroom or whatever. Now, there are rooms within rooms, so you go into a room, you open a door, it's not a closet, it's another room. <laughs> and I mean, I've seen some closets that look like other rooms. not in my house, but you know there are <laughs> mine either. <laughs> um, there's a staircase that leads to nowhere. It goes up and it just stops at the ceiling. So you're walking up and the ceiling's getting closer. You slam your head on the ceiling. You can't go anywhere. In another place, there's a door which opens into a solid wall. So you open the door and there's a wall behind it. Can't go anywhere. Some of the house. It's got it's got 47 chimneys. So some of these chimneys have overhead ceilings where in other places there's skylights covered by a roof so you've got fireplaces that don't have a chimney they're covered up you've got a skylight in the top of this room but there's a roof over it so it doesn't do you any good it's just basically a skylight looking into the underside of your roof yeah hey nice beams up there right i mean (laughs) it's a good way to check to see if you've got termites but Uh, And there's actually a skylight built into the floor and you can see pictures of it. You're walking and there's a skylight with a little like fence banister around it, but it's in the floor and it just looks down to the next floor below it. And there's tiny doors that lead into really large spaces and there's really large doors that lead into small spaces. So one door you may have to crawl through, but then you open you know, you go, you come into this just opulent room, huge room that bigger than any other ones, or you open this normal sized door and then you've got to crawl down this little hallway into a tiny little room or into a little closet or something. It's really weird. There's a second story door that opens out into a sheer drop to ground level. So if you didn't know what you were doing, open that door, take a step, you'll fall into the bushes below it. There's upside down pillars that you can find all over the house. Now, Matt mentioned the, the numerology of the house, the, the different numbers that you can find all over the place. So there's three different numbers that repeat over and over again, and they're prime numbers, seven, 11, and 13. And they're displayed in various ways throughout the house. The number 13 is the most prominent. So how fitting that episode 13, we talk about this. That wasn't even planned, guys. We didn't didn't even try that. That just happened. So weird. Very, Very fortuitous. Right. So these numbers show up in the number of windows in many of the rooms or the number of stairs in the staircase. Or like we said, the number of switchbacks in the one staircase. There's seven the number of rails in railings and the number of panels in the floors and walls and there's one chandelier that has 13 lights in this chandelier yeah
1: and there's there's 13 palm trees right. lining the drive right. to get up to the house
0: so she she was very into numerology and if you look at her past being a freemason and everything numbers play a big role in freemasonry oh, yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, it's a mathematics-based, I'm going to say group, so I don't dive down another rabbit hole <laughs> that we don't need to go down in this one, maybe in another one, but very mathematics-based being Mason. And so she brought this into her home and, you know, very into the numbers and the meanings of the numbers. Now, she was really ahead of her time. She employed many high-tech inventions for that day she was believed to be one of the first builders to use wool insulation in her house and that's a big deal because it insulation is very important we still use insulation to this day you know before that not a lot of houses had insulation they had you know basically like the the log cabin style you've got an outer wall and then it's also the inner wall so there's no barrier between the elements and she was one of the first ones to have that put into her house the house is actually lit with carbide gas lights that were supplied by its own gas manufacturing plant she had a plant that supplied the gas just for her house now panels of electrical buttons were used to operate the lights by a means of electromechanical strikers That would you would flip the light switch and it would cause a spark at the light fixture, which would then ignite the gas that she has her own plant. I can't get over that. She's got her own gas plant.
1: And I mean, you think about that. That is so modern. Right. I mean, like even by today's standards, having something that you could flip a switch and light a gas lamp.
0: Right. I mean, that. Yeah, we don't do that. It doesn't sound like something that happened a hundred years ago, right, and that may be for safety's sake that we don't do that, hey, it could be gas and flames and automatic lighting, but we don't do that, and that is like you said for a hundred years ago that was that was a big deal,
1: yeah, but it's like you know when the pilot light goes out on our gas logs, you know it's like, oh my God, where's the lighter?
0: yeah, you know? <laughs> yep. you gotta gotta find the lighter and get it lit before your house fills up with <laughs> yeah. gas and All that Sarah Winchester just flipped a switch. Yep. You know, boom, back on. Hopefully she was
1: lighting one of the fireplaces that the chimney actually went outside.
0: Right. Right. (laughs) Not one of the ones covered by a ceiling. Um, she was also one of the first people in the country to make use of a shower. Most people were still using baths. She actually employed a shower in her home
1: again. You know, and a lot of this stuff is from her travels. You know, she, Traveled the world for three years. I mean, she saw a lot and got inspiration from that. Right. And it all plays into this house.
0: Like we said, she was a smart woman.
1: Yeah. One one thing I did read, Adam, I don't know if you came across this, is that she claimed that she had a patent for a wash sink. Did you see that? I did not. So there's a wash sink inside the house that's, it's a metal basin, but it's porcelain lined and it has a washboard made into it really so you could you you could do your wash in one basin pull it out put it into the next basin to rinse it right. and then hang it to dry now nobody's ever found evidence of this
0: right that that, that, that she, she had patented the patent.
1: this but the sink does exist and it wasn't something that was available at the time
0: right so even if she didn't have a patent she did have so have that in her her,
1: home. her or or somebody at her request Designed and built this sink. Right. You know, which, like I said, this was something not, you know, not seen at this time.
0: Right. Ahead of her time. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things that she was ahead of her time on was she actually had elevators in her house. She had two different elevators that were driven by hydraulics and a third that was actually driven by electricity. So, again, 100 years ago, you've got an electric elevator, that's a big deal. Now, as a rundown of what all the house has here, it's got 161 rooms spanning 24,000 square feet. It's got 2,000 doors, 10,000 windows, 47 fireplaces, 40 staircases, 13 bathrooms, six kitchens, three elevators, and two basements. So if you can imagine... Walking into a house with all these things, plus the stuff that I didn't list there, the switchback stair, uh, staircase, the tiny rooms, all that, it's confusing. Mm-hmm. Just really confusing, but really cool. This house has actually been created a historical monument by California, so really don't have to worry about it being torn down or anything like that, unless another earthquake hits and takes it down. But it's now a historical piece of California and a historical piece of the United States. Now let's get in and have Matt kind of talk about some of the weird things that she did at this house and maybe why this house was built this way.
1: Yeah. So we, we touched on a little bit about her early life and the death of her husband and her daughter, leading her into some depression. Some of this is considered more or less folklore or speculation. Um, you know that I don't think there's any true evidence that this was this was what she did prior to moving to California and and starting construction on this house. So. After William's death, now, mind you, this came after the death of her daughter, uh, Annie. After William's death, she began speaking with a spiritualist. And again, you know, this was a time when when spiritualism was really coming into its own. Right, You know, a, a lot of people were curious about it. They were investigating it. This is around the time that... The Ouija board became popular.
0: I was just about to bring that up.
1: Yeah. So, you know, people had this idea that they could somehow communicate with lost loved ones. But, you know, most people, regular people, didn't know how. Mm -hmm. So they would seek out these spiritualist mediums to try to communicate to family and friends that had passed on. So while working with this spiritualist. Sarah was told the spirits, you know, of all the, the people that your husband's rifle have killed are angry and they're, they're coming to torment you. You know, the illness and the death of your child, the illness and death of your husband, you know, they're seeking retribution for these firearms causing their death. So Sarah bought into this and was told you have to to build this house to placate these spirits and you can never stop construction because if you stop then the spirits will come for you. So the idea was that Sarah was going to build a place for two reasons. Number one she was placating the dark spirits that could possibly be coming after her, but she also wanted to make a nice, happy place for the good spirits and make them feel welcome. Part of the, the reason that the house is so confusing, that you know, the doors open to nothing, the stairwells go to the ceiling was to confuse the evil spirits. So they get lost in the house and and they leave her alone um but the the sheer size and magnitude and the opulence of the house was done in part to bring about these good spirits and and give them a place to be you know a, a place of peace you know that they could enjoy and it was said that every night at midnight Sarah would go to a room that was called the seance room and a bell would toll outside marking that it was midnight and she would stay in this room until about 2 a.m. Communing with the spirits, you know, welcoming them, communicating with them, talking with them. And then at 2 a.m. The bell would toll again to mark it was time for the spirits to leave. So the bell would ring at midnight, welcoming the spirits in, 2 a.m., conversation's over. See you tomorrow night.
0: Time to go to bed.
1: Yeah. You don't got to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs> so,
0: Or like I tell my ghost friend here, I'm going to bed. You can do what you want to do. Just let me sleep.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so uh, the the construction going on 24 hours a day was an effort to placate the spirits as the spiritualist told her you can never stop construction. So she never did. As we said, she paid these people very well so that they would do this. Um, but just continued, continued, continued for 38 years. You know, construction actually was going right up until the point of her death. In fact, In the mansion, there are nails that are half-driven, that the story says these were nails that were being driven when they found out of her death, and they just stopped immediately. And they're like, "Well, she's gone,
0: we're done. There goes my paycheck.
1: That's right. Well, yeah. I mean, that was probably the, the reason. Yep. If she's gone, I'm not getting paid, I'm not hammering this nail one centimeter further. Right. So...
0: And that's, um, that's dedication. Cause I've never done anything for that long. There has never been anything in my life that I've done that long. Yeah, <laughs> no, never.
1: But, um, but I could, I could do just about anything for the right amount of money. No kidding. <laughs> so, you know, driving, driving the nail and, and just over and over and over. Sure. Why not? You know, am I, am I getting paid for this? How much? Okay. Right. Where's my hammer? You know, give me two. I'm even better with two. <laughs> So this was the idea Sarah had for building this house. I'm going to confuse the evil spirits. I'm going to welcome the good spirits. Um, you know, so what's left is a legitimate mystery. You know, and as Adam said, this this place is a historical landmark. And and not only that, it's, it's in some ways a, a piece of art. I mean, you, you know, we're talking about, you know, sinks and faucets that, you know, people couldn't people couldn't afford. I mean, you saw this stuff in palaces, um, you know, Tiffany stained glass. I mean, you know, why on earth would somebody, you know, go to those kind of links, especially in a house like this? So there's there's an artist, uh, artistic quality to the Winchester Mansion for sure. Um, But this is Graveyard Tales and it's not Architectural Digest.
0: It's and, not we didn't change the outline of the show.
1: Well, I I thought we had agreed that we wouldn't.
0: And well, okay. I need to throw away this note then.
1: <laughs> so it it can't it can't be graveyard tales if we don't come up with something that says, "Hey, this place is haunted." Right. And you know, depending on who you who you look to, who you listen to, you know, what ghost show you've watched, uh the Winchester House May or may not be haunted. So, even with all of the the spirit ideas that went into its construction, you know, maybe there's spirits trapped in there. Maybe not. There's a lot of folks that will say "Eh, it's not really haunted. It's just a really strange, unique place. Right. There's other people that say it's one of the most haunted places in America. So somewhere in between is probably where it lies. But the best stories that Adam and I were able to find come from the people that actually work there. Modern, modern day employees and tour guides, because, um, they, they seem to experience more than any stories that came out while Sarah was alive.
0: They're there all the time. They see it.
1: Right. So, um, one of the stories, um, one of the first stories I found, uh, was told by a tour guide. And she was working there one day, and it, and it just happened to be around November, and it was time to start decorating for Christmas. And you can imagine decorating a house this size for Christmas takes a long time. So they right. start early.
0: I can't because I don't even decorate my house.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I Adam, did you even have a Christmas tree this year?
0: It was about four inches tall, and actually... Ashley sent it to me because she told me I had to have one yeah. in my house. It's black, about four inches tall. It's got skulls all over it, and it's got a raven head on the top of it.
1: <laughs> ho ho ho. Yes. <laughs> so so they're they're decorating for Christmas, and this tour guide, she's she's hanging garland along some of the balconies. And again, this is. The Winchester Mystery House. So nothing's ever going to be simple about getting through and getting around this place. You actually had to get off of one balcony, walk across a section of roof, and get onto another balcony. It was the only way to get there. So she explains that she crawled over the railing for this balcony, and she's trying to traverse the small area of roof to get to the other one, and she slips. Now, she catches herself, but if you've ever been on a roof and and slipped a little bit, it absolutely gives you that feeling in the pit of your stomach that's like, oh my God.
0: Yeah. I yeah. have a fear of heights, a slight fear of heights, and roofs are one of the things that do it to me because I don't feel like I have a good footing. Yeah. So yeah, I would have pooped and they would have been cleaning the side of that house up for months. <laughs> Yeah. Can you imagine
1: the gardener down at the bottom after Adam <laughs> slipped on the roof? Oh, my God.
0: I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry. I thought I was falling.
1: That was the worst bird ever. <laughs> so she makes it to the other balcony and she's she's shaken up a little bit, you know, so she's kind of she's kind of trembling. And like, OK, OK, I made it. OK, everything's cool. Everything's cool. And said so she's standing there and she says she's got her hand against the the door facing. And she's just trying to gather herself. And she says she distinctly hears a voice quietly in her ear say, are you okay? She said it startled her at first, but knowing the history of the house, she just said, yes, yes, I'm, I'm fine. Thank you. She said after a few moments, the voice said, if you need us, you just have to ask. That's and, awesome. And she said, she stopped and said, thank you. I'm, I'm okay. Thank you. And, you know, that's one of those really creepy, give you cold chills kind of feeling. But, uh, you know, when you're working there, you kind of maybe expect something like this to happen.
0: Yeah. And you want to develop that rapport with them rather than yeah, being you, on you, bad terms. You
1: don't want to, you don't want to make them mad.
0: That's for sure.
1: You're in this crazy mixed up house. You right. Know? If I gotta run from something, I gotta know this door that I'm opening yeah. in a brick wall.
0: Yeah. <laughs> or out to the, the gardener below.
1: Yeah, because mm-hmm. I mean there's there's a door that opens to a about a a ten foot drop. Yep. You know. I mean you don't you don't wanna be running through that door. Right You're like pff,
0: face yeah. plant. So. hopefully they keep that locked
1: though. Yeah. There was another tour guide that said that on occasion she would dress like Sarah Winchester. And she would stay in one of the rooms that she frequented. And as tours would come by, she would be sitting in there, you know, dressed in, in the veil and the black dress, you know, like Sarah. So she, she tells a story where she's, she's sitting in, in one of Sarah's rooms and she's waiting for the next tour to come. And across the hall, she hears the cabinets opening and closing, opening and closing and thought, well, that's really weird because there's not a tour up here yet. And the the one that that just went by has been gone long enough that there shouldn't be anybody in that room. So she got up and she went across the hall and said nobody was in this room. But yet all the cabinet doors were open. And she explains that these were not cabinets that were easily open. They did not just swing open and close by themselves said somebody had to have opened these things.
0: It wasn't a draft.
1: Yeah. It wasn't a draft. You know, you can imagine, you know, you know, 18, 1800 era door hinges were probably not as smooth and free flowing as they are these days. Right. You know, it took a little bit of effort, you know, but something did it. And, and she said she was, she was pretty surprised by it. It kind of creeped her out. Um, the third and probably the best story from tour guides that I found was told, uh, told by a gentleman who worked here. This story happened in 1981, and he says, it's the end of the day, you know, they've kind of gathered, you know, down in the, in the regular area where the employees would, would meet, and there's a girl that's given the final tour of the day. So she comes in, and she's visibly upset. And so they ask her, "What what's wrong? She says, there's a little boy that's lost in the mansion. I said, really? She's like, yeah, I've seen him twice during this last tour. And, you know, he runs off. And she was, I even saw him at the top of one of the stairs and and asked him to come down. And he laughed at me and ran away. And he like went into some of the roped off areas that you can't go to you know, as a, as a visitor. So they said, well, okay, um, let's, uh, let's turn on the motion sensors and we'll see if anything lights up. And so they did and nothing was moving in the house. So they said, well, you you may have just thought you saw that, or he was just a kid that got separated from the rest of his tour and he joined back up with them and he's left. So, but there's nobody here and there's nobody coming down here going, I can't find my child. Right. So that was a a dead giveaway. You know, nobody's lost one. So there's not one roaming through the halls. Right. So about two weeks later, the, the guy that's telling this story uh, says that he and the girl that gave this tour were on cleaning duty in the Winchester museum. And so as they're in there, you know, they're, they're they're cleaning you know the the cases and the displays of the rifles and and you know the plaques that explain the history of of the Winchester company and everything and there's photographs that are encased in glass you know of you know the workers and and people in the Winchester family and things like that said so as they're cleaning said she comes to a photograph and he said her face just turns white And she says, that's him. He's like, what? Who are you talking about? The little boy. That's the little boy. He's like, what little boy? She's like, a couple of weeks ago when I told you guys that I saw this little boy running through the mansion, this is him in this photograph. The hair is the same. The clothes are the same. It's the same child. And the guy's like, look, that's impossible. You know, this picture was taken, like, in 1900. You know, it's not the same person. But nonetheless, he decided he would do some research. And it turns out that that child was the son of one of the carpenters that was working at the mansion. And that child died inside a fruit dehydrator machine. mm which I guess fruit dehydrators were really big. Apparently so. In, in, in the early 1900s for a child to be able to get in there. Right. Okay. But that was the story. So it just kind of led to maybe that's legit. Maybe, maybe
0: she did see this child. Why has it always got to be kid ghosts? That's right. Every story you come up with has a it's kid a ghost in it. I do it on purpose. I think you do, you <laughs> jerk.
1: Yeah. 15 other stories I could have chosen and I'm like I'm going <laughs> to tell the one
0: that's got the kid ghost. This in it. is going to be the one that Adam thinks about late at night when nobody else is at home and but this this goes to um
1: the speculation that the Winchester house is not haunted by the ghost of Sarah. Right. It's not haunted by the 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 spirits that have been killed by the Winchester rifles it's haunted by the staff right that was there that worked on that mansion for all those years 24/7 and that's who the spirits that are in there and so that story above all others makes that claim even even more legitimate mm-hmm. that you know they didn't they didn't bring ghosts here she didn't lure spirits here You know, there were spirits here because there were people that died
0: here. Right. And they gave their lives to build this house and to make it as opulent as it is and as nice and crazy as it is. And they're going to spend their afterlife in this house.
1: Right. And, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, 38 years covering the late 1800s to the early 1900s. You know, safety precautions and things like that weren't what they are today. Right. So, you know, the chances that you could really, really dig in and research and find evidence that there were workers that died while working on this house or even just house staff that, that died of natural causes while they were there. um, You know, it's it's a really strong possibility if for no other reason than the the span of time that we're talking about you know, over 38 years, you can bet there were more than a a handful of people that passed away on that property or even inside that house.
0: Oh, for sure. You know, so for sure.
1: um, So there's a really, really good chance that that is what some of the experiences people have are related to when they're there. Um, but, But really, really fascinating when you start reading about things like, you know,
0: 2,000
1: doors and, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, holy cow. But that, that's why this thing exists. Right. It, and that's why Sarah did this and started this construction. And just to kind of give you an idea of just how big 24,000 square feet is, in 2016, they found a room they didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. 2016, you know, not barely even two years ago, because it was November, when this story came out, um, you know, I was 100 years old and oh, hey, there's another room. Yeah. Hey, look, it turns out it was an attic that looks like it was boarded up. They they nicknamed it Sarah's attic. And when they got up in there, they found paintings, craft supplies, a sewing machine, an old pump organ and an old Victorian sofa. So it's not like, oh, well, we're not using this and you know they just closed it off. I mean, it was it was a legitimate room. Right. I mean, there was stuff and it was just boarded up. Right. You know. So, you know, yet another mystery. Why would you just board up this room with all the stuff up
0: there? Maybe, you know, she had an experience in that room that she didn't want to relive and just said, "Well, we'll close it. I've got a couple other rooms I can Yeah. you know, stay in.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this this place would be an incredible place to visit. And in fact, um, when Adam and I went to the Thomas house to do, um, do the little ghost hunt deal, we met a couple that had just gotten back from there. Right. They, they had gone out and toured the Winchester house and everything. And they were, they were back home and had come up to the Thomas house. So, um, yeah, I mean, seems like a, a
0: an amazing place to Oh, I'd love to go. To go. I'd love to go and visit, yeah. get lost in there. Yeah. But We wondered, have any of y'all been out there and seen it, or have any of y'all heard any stories about it that maybe we didn't cover, or any ghosts that we didn't touch on, or anything like that? If y'all have, y'all can hit us up on Twitter, y'all can hit us up on Facebook, or just send us an email to graveyardtalespodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear about it, and we'd love to hear from you. And again, we want to thank you for downloading and listening as much as you have it just amazes us and we can't get over it and thank you thank you thank you yeah
1: thank you we we really really do appreciate it we appreciate all the feedback um because it 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 kind of fuels our fire uh it it makes us happy that what we're doing you know brings some enjoyment to you guys you know if you're listening while you work or when you're, when you're driving home or something like that. Uh, cause that, I know that's when I'm always listening to podcasts.
0: So. Oh yeah. I listen on my way in and on my way home from work. Yeah.
1: So, so hit us up on Facebook, uh, graveyard tales, join, uh, our Facebook group. Cause Please. that's where, that's where a lot of the fun stuff happens. That's where we talk about, um, talk about things that may be coming up. We get new ideas from, all you listeners about shows and and we just have a, have a good time, you know? So um, come on in there and join that group. You know, it's where you, uh, you know, can get a heads up as to what, what Adam and I are are working on and thinking about doing next.
0: Right. And while you're on the interwebs, we ask if you wouldn't mind, go over and give us a rating on whatever platform you listen to us on that really helps spread the word of the graveyard. And if you have any friends that listen to podcasts, tell them about us. If they don't know what a podcast is, explain that to them. It's pretty easy. Um, they, they'll they be better off if they learn podcasts. That's you know, right. You know, <laughs> the podcast group, at least the ones that we know, are amazing people, and we love all of them, and we love the fact that we got to know them through doing this, so you know, and spread the word about podcasts. Yep. And like we said, be thinking about what the Tide podcast challenge could be and hit us back up again. Thank you for joining us tonight. And we hope to see you back in the graveyard next time.